welcome back to another episode of Confessions of a Crappy Christian. I am your host and resident crappy Christian, Blake, and every week I get to have the coolest conversations with incredible people about all the things most Christians are still not sure we're allowed to talk about. So if you've been looking for a place to land with all your crap and for someone to just be honest about what it looks like to walk through this Christian life, well, you've come to the right place. Pull up a seat, pop in your headphones and tune out your kids and come hang out with me and a guest for the authentic conversations that you have been looking for. Mark, hey, welcome to the show. Good to be here, Blake. How are you today? I'm good. It's we're have I'm in Louisiana, and so we're having more rain on top of the hurricane that we just had. But I think we're going to be okay. How are you doing? Is that is that why that real plant behind you is growing so well because of the rain? It is. It's a very real plant. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like you need no introduction, but just because, just in case somebody that's listening isn't a huge college football fan. Can you give us a quick run through of who you are? Oh, well, my name is Mark Richt. I've been, uh, I'm a born again believer in Jesus Christ who happens to have been a coach back in the day, 35 years of coaching, 15 years at Florida State and 15 years at Georgia, three years at uh, the University of Miami. And now I work with the huddle, we call it on the ACC network on the weekends doing what's called a studio analyst. So I don't go to the games and call the games. I talk about all the games throughout the day at a little pregame and and, uh, halftimes, postgame, all that fun stuff. Got a beautiful wife for 34 years, Catherine, two granddaughters, Jane and Zoe, and I'll skip the kids because when you have granddaughters, you just skip the kids. Yep, absolutely. For Christmas, a couple of years ago, I bought my parents a plaque that says, uh, if we had known having grandchildren was this much fun, we would have had them first. It's because true. that is very much the case for my parents. They We still we still like our kids. Yeah. Know, get me wrong, but, but it's not the same. No, it's not. Because you get to give them back. You get to do all the fun sure. stuff and then you get to give them back. That's right. <laughs> so your book, Make the Call, just came out a few weeks ago. Can you tell us a little bit about that as well? Right. Make the Call is kind of a play on words. Um, if you're a football coach, period, and you're calling plays, you have to make a call about every 40 seconds in a game. If you are uh, a head coach, you'll be making calls throughout the game and throughout recruiting. You'll be making calls and discipline issues, things of that nature. But the reality is making calls is, is just making decisions and we all we all make decisions so the book is going to have kind of a back scene uh view of the decisions that i made in football games some of the exciting games plays some of the not so good ones and then decisions i made with family and with uh faith as well so and the other thing about the book is by the time the book's over the reader's going to be challenged to make the most important call they could possibly make and uh so i'm excited about that too for the readers yes you're kind of giving people a behind the scenes view while also leading them along to like that this is what like yes football is great and and it's fun and it's important but this is really what's I know what's important to you and what's important in life right. in general I yeah. am a diehard LSU fan I'm sorry right. <laughs> and uh that's all right I've got a, I've got a nephew who's your quarterback oh no way I think I knew that Max what? Johnson yeah Max Johnson the starting quarterback he's my nephew my sister Nikki's son she married Brad Johnson yes who's a Super Bowl winner, winning quarterback at Tampa Bay before Brady was. 
Uh-huh. And uh, I actually coached Brad at Florida State. And my wife and I kind of set them up. And uh, they've got two beautiful boys, Max and Jake. Jake's going to be going to LSU as well. Yeah. He's a tight end. He's committed to them. So, yeah, I love that. So I was at LSU when you were at UGA and I always loved you as a coach. I kind of became this like accidental UGA fan by proxy because I loved watching you coach. I felt like you led with this like calm sense of leadership that wasn't aggressive, but wasn't passive. And then I found out you were a believer and I was like, oh, okay. That, that makes sense why I was just drawn to watching you coach, which is interesting in that world. It's not necessarily a world that's saturated with Christianity, the football world. How do you feel retrospectively like your faith influenced the way that you coached and led? Right. Well, you know, going back to this calmness or this stoicness that some people would call it, uh, as far as my demeanor on the sideline, that basically was a started when I was a play caller, Florida State, I was up in the box. Nobody was really watching me up in the box. But for me to make decisions, you know, like every 40 seconds as a play caller, for me to stay calm helped me think the best. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, I've had a lot of coaches come to me and say, I wish I could be as calm as you on the sideline and all that. But I said, you know, you have to be who you are. For me, staying calm helped me be think the, the cleanest and the straightest. And for other right. people, they could be outwardly gregarious and and fired up and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, when we were winning, everybody thought it was awesome that I was this calm, stoic guy. And when we lost, they're like, oh, he didn't have enough fire in his belly, you know, so you can't keep everybody happy. But I would suggest to everybody, be who you are, be genuine. Your players want a genuine person to to be their leader. Mm. But when it comes to faith, I think we all make decisions based on our belief system. You know, whatever your belief system is, it's pretty much going to guide how you make decisions. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian. I believe in God's word. And, you know, so when it came to making decisions, my number one goal was to make a decision that God would be pleased with. So if I had time to make a decision, uh, I would put it to prayer and I would try to I would try to get to the point where I had peace on the issue. And when I had peace, then I felt like I was on the right track. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then I would make that decision. But sometimes you got to make a decision right now. Right. You don't have a day or two or a week. And so you hope that you're, you know, for me, that you're prayed up and you're in the right state of mind that if you make a quick decision, it'll be in, it'll be in alignment with something mm-hmm. that would make, make the Lord happy. So sometimes you'll make a decision you start living it out and you'll put your head on the pillow at night and say, you know what? That was a bad one. Mm-hmm. And so when you do that, you got to wake up the next day. And if you can change it, change it. Say, Hey, I, I blew it. I made a yeah. mistake. And uh, I'm, we're going to change it this direction because I don't think it's right. So sometimes you actually have to make the decision before you know. Yeah. If it was a good one. A good yeah, you have one. to kind of experience it, it a little bit. If you can't change it, if it's just too late and you blew it, just own it, admit it. And people were, most people will respect that. Yeah. I think sometimes the problem can come when you've, you've made a not great decision. You realize you've made a not great decision. And instead of being humble enough right. to say that or to acknowledge that you kind of I think sometimes we see people try to just perpetuate it. Like if I just keep right. this up long enough, it'll be fine. <laughs> like right. it'll, it'll all come out in the wash. And that just doesn't really usually the way right. things work out. That's true. You know, and I think talking, you're talking about how you're, who you are informs the decisions that you make. I think that's such a 
like poignantly simple way to put it. Yes. My faith influenced my coach because how I coached, because that's who I am. Like I'm a believer in Christ. Why would that not impact something like football or what we do day to day? I think, yeah, I think people try to put their faith in different compartments Mm -hmm. and, you know, on Sunday, this is how I think, this is how I pray. This is how I, you know, make decisions, but the rest of the week, I don't think much about it, you know, and I, I, don't, I really don't think people truly can do that. I think, like I said, you know, everybody has a certain way of thinking, a certain way of believing, and whatever your belief system is, is going to come out in the mm-hmm. decisions that you make. So, you know, for me, it was a very, very simple goal after becoming a believer, and that was to try to live a life that would please God, period. You know, whatever God wanted me to do, if I thought he was telling me to do something, then I'd do it. And uh, that's simple in, in premise, but it's not necessarily easy. No. Right. To live out. I think living a life of faith is simple when it comes to your goal, but it's, it can be difficult when the rubber meets the road. Absolutely. Well, and I think sometimes we as believers think unless you're doing something like pastoring or something that looks like traditional ministry, that right. your beliefs and who you are doesn't impact what you do. And you're right. just this perfect example of I coached a game that is important, but people watching football isn't necessarily quote unquote winning souls, but because you made a decision and walked that out and expressed Christ to your players, like I know that you had an impact on so many more people just by choosing to like be a Christian in the locker room, like be who God made you on the field. Well, I think that uh, our players especially are going to watch you more than they're going to listen to you. You can say all you want, mm. but but they're going to they're going to watch you. They're going to watch how you live. They're going to watch how you treat your wife. Yes. They're going to watch how you treat your children. They're going to watch how you treat your coaching staff. They're going to watch how you treat them. Mm-hmm. You know, and when you when you you know even when I would discipline these players, I had to explain to them. I'm doing this because I love you, not because of anything else. You know, right. it's just like my child. If you love your child, you're going to discipline them and help them do the right things. And, you know, because you care about it. And uh, I mean, I remember one time running onto the field uh, at the opening kick, just before the opening kick and the television uh, reporter grabs me on the sideline about a guy that was suspended for the game that I didn't announce. But by game day, they realized he won't go to play. Yeah. They're like, why'd you do that? I said, because I love him. Mm. <laughs> kind of freaked him out. They're like, what are you talking about? Yeah. But, uh, you know, I've, I've had many players that uh, over the years have come back to me and said, "I, you know, thank you for loving me enough to discipline me and try to help me do right. Even guys that I actually had to dismiss from the team because of something they may have done or because of a series of things they may have done to protect the school, protect the team. And they came back and say, you know what, coach? You help me get my life in order because, mm-hmm. you know, you cared enough to do that. Yeah. Well, I think we, that's a whole different conversation, right? Of what does love really look like? We think it's all unicorns and rainbows right. and agreeing with people when the right. reality is, is that like love doesn't always look fluffy and like agree. Well, as we know, sure. Well, you know, as we know, God disciplines those he loves. Exactly. He disciplines us because he wants us to be on the right path. And usually, you know, children and even players and, and us as people, you know, left to our own device, we're going to, we're going to go down a wrong path right. more times than not. And so God needs to correct us and, you know, put us in line and help us, help us do right. Absolutely. So I know that the head, your head coach, when you were a graduate 
assistant, Coach Bowden, 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 Bowden. Uh, He was your mentor as well. Yes. Um, And that a locker room conversation is what led to you actually becoming a believer, right? Right. Well, you're on Wikipedia, I could tell, but anyway, which is okay. It's mostly true on Wikipedia, <laughs> but it was, it was actually uh, not a locker room uh, conversation. It was a team meeting room on the Sunday after an open date early in the season where unfortunately one of our players was shot and killed at a party on campus. Mm. His name was Pablo Lopez. So we had, we had a meeting the next day and Coach Bowden just said, man, I, I don't know where Pablo is right now. I don't know where he'll spend eternity because I don't know where he was in his faith. But he, uh, he preached the gospel, basically. He just said, you know, there's a God who loves us and wants us to live with him forever in heaven. But the problem is the standard for heaven is perfection and none of us can be perfect. So God knew that. He knew we needed a Savior, so he gave us Jesus. And if we just choose that gift, then we'll our spirit and soul will be made perfect in the sight of God, and we'll be going to heaven, you know, when it's all said and done. And he said, but Pablo used to sit in that chair right there. There was an empty chair in the room where Pablo used to sit. He said, you guys are 18 to 22 years old, and you think you're going to live forever. It's like Pablo thought he was going to live forever, and now he's gone. Mm-hmm. And he's talking to the players. Coach Bowden's talking to the players. He says, if that was you last night instead of Pablo, do you know where you'd spend eternity? And so, you know, I'm in the back of the room, young graduate assistant coach, 26 years old. Some seeds that were planted back in my college days by a college roommate came to fruition. And the Holy Spirit was saying, if it was you last night, you know where you go. And it's not a good place. Yeah. So the next day I went to see Coach Bowden in his office. I said, I know you were talking to the players, but do you mind if I uh, – Come talk to you. He said, sure, come on in, buddy. And he calls you buddy when he forgets your name most of the time. But <laughs> anyway, he, uh, I prayed to receive Christ right there in his office. So, I mean, he, he blessed me in my coaching career by, by allowing me to coach quarterbacks as a young man mm-hmm. on the Power 5 football team with him. But uh, even more important, he, he led me to Christ and was bold enough to preach the gospel to the team after that, after that crisis. That is bold. I mean, that's incredible. But isn't that what Christ has called us to, right? Like he took, you know, only God is able to take these really tragic situations and use them for his glory through us and like change your life and then continue to change lives through that. It's just really cool. Yeah, it was actually the most appropriate thing he could have possibly done, but absolutely not many people. There's a lot of people that would not agree with that, especially at a secular university to to preach the gospel to a football team. But uh, it was, you know, when it comes to life and death and eternity, it was the most appropriate thing he could he could have done. Absolutely. And as a believer, it shouldn't that be the the like thing that makes the most sense to us, right? Like instead of giving right. like worldly platitudes or or offering counsel that sounds like the world, if we want to sound different and that that is such a starkly different response than a lot of what, what you would hear in that locker room. You know, I know you continue to talk a lot about the impact that he had on your career. He continued to kind of be your mentor through the years, right? Yes. Well, when you talk about mentors, it was interesting you talk about that because I I spoke at a radical mentoring symposium or whatever you want to call it convention. And uh, they said, Hey coach, tell us about your mentors. In, the, in your talk, that's we think we'd be interested in hearing that. So just it made me think about the mentors in my life. 
Yeah. It started with my dad when I was a kid and then my PE coach when I was in elementary school and my high school football coach. And then in college, I realized I had no mentor. And that's when the wheels fell off. Not only did mm. I not play football like I thought I wanted to, and somebody started living my life, uh, Jim Kelly, the quarterback, uh, became, he became the starter and I became the bench warmer. Mm-hmm. You know, but that, that, that four or five year period, I made the worst decisions in my life because I really didn't have a mentor. And then yeah. by the grace of God, after that, Coach Bowden was there, as we mentioned, you know, as a mentor for me. So uh, it's, it's very important to get connected to uh, someone who you trust and love and somebody who, you know, will hopefully guide you in the right direction. And then for older people or more mature people or more experienced people, however you wanted to say it, don't be afraid to take somebody under your wing. And, uh, and make a difference in their life. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Do you remember who the, the head of the Radical Mentoring Conference was? I forgot. Because I think I had him on the show, actually. Yeah. It's, actually it's a pretty a, cool deal they do. It's, it's, yeah, it's, very, it's for men, right? Yes. Yes, I did have him on the show not that long ago. And it's an well, incredible concept. Yeah, I mean, it's just encouraging men to take that job of mentoring seriously and Obviously, as a father, you mentor your children, but there's a lot of guys out there. I mean, in my business, two-thirds at least, the young men that I coached had no male role model, had no father figure in their home. Yeah. They had they had mom, mm-hmm. that grandmother. And I can't tell you how many moms came to me in the recruiting process and said, I can teach my boy a lot of things, but I can't teach him how to be a man. Mm-hmm. Would you please do that for me? I mean, that's pretty powerful. That is incredibly powerful. That's amazing. So would you say that having, I mean, because obviously him investing in you, even if he couldn't remember your name, he said he called you buddy, like radically changed the trajectory of your life. Are you thankful for that season that led you into having a mentor? Right. Well, there's no doubt. And, you know, mentoring can take all kinds of forms, but Christian mentoring is, is a very intentional way of trying to make disciples for Christ and really helping young people, first of all, come to Christ and then understand what that means and how, what has changed. I mean, I mean, when I first came a believer, it was obviously a faith decision, but I didn't really understand what happened. I mean, mm. the bottom line is when, when Adam sinned, sin entered everybody. And so our ability to be perfect, to live a perfect life was blown at birth. We're descendants mm-hmm. of Adam. We were born with this sin nature. But when we become believers at the point of what's called justification, just as if I've never sinned, uh, our spirit and soul become perfect in the sight of God. Now, our behavior lags behind because we're mm-hmm. still in this flesh. And even our brain has all these sin habits and, and all this kind of stuff still stuck in there. And one day, you know, when we die, we'll eject out of this body and our spirit and soul will meet this perfect body that God's going to give us mm-hmm. this glorified body with no sin, no disease. And then that's when the fun really begins. Amen. Absolutely. So I've obviously never been a football coach, but I did date one for a while for a really long time, go. actually. And we've talked about this a little bit, but one thing I found from just kind of getting to see a little bit of behind the scenes is how many decisions you were saying every 40 seconds, but a lot of them are difficult decisions, both on the field and off. And you talk in the book about having to let go of control and trusting God in making those difficult decisions. Can you talk a little bit more about that? 
for me, I, I would do my very best to put things to prayer and to, again, going back to my, my goal in life to please God with, with what I do. I mean, as I'm making decisions on recruiting, on discipline, on who to hire, and you know, there's just so many decisions, as you say, um, you want it to be in line with, with what God would be pleased with. You want, it, you want the blessings of the Lord on the things that you do. So again, I would always try to do my very best to think in those terms, think for long-term. I mean, you can make short-term decisions that maybe give you a short-term result. Mm-hmm. But, but usually when you do that, your leadership is short-term as well. Yeah. When you make decisions based on the long haul, uh, you tend to you know, build a program that can last and, and build families that can last and things of that nature, build businesses that can last. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it, I think even in the midst of difficult decisions, like even the hard ones that aren't, that it, sometimes I think we can be faced with decisions oh, yeah. that it feels like both are a lose, like that there's no, yeah, right. there is oh, no yeah. good. Well, well, the bottom line is you're, you'll learn real hurry in a hurry as a lead, in a leadership position, even if you're a parent. Every decision you make is not going to be popular. I mean, as a coach, mm-hmm. you might please the player and the family, but you might not please your administration or the fan base yeah, uh, or vice versa. I mean, somebody's not going to be happy with your decision. Yeah. And if you sit there and measure, who do I want to make happy with this decision? I think people do that all the time. But unfortunately, the person they're not trying to please, it's not God. It's, it's somebody mm-hmm. else. Mm-hmm. And so when, when you go back to the basis of saying, I want to please God with this decision, it helps you make the right decision. But it isn't, doesn't, again, mean it's the easiest yeah. decision. Sometimes it's the toughest decision you can make. Yeah. But I think the good thing is, is that even when it does come down to having to make the difficult, like a difficult decision and making the unpopular choice, that peace that you get from yeah. the father, when you know you're walking, yeah. if, even if everybody else thinks it's a terrible idea, I've had many things in my life where right. like, no, like this is what the father is walking me towards. And everybody is like, that makes no sense. And, and it doesn't, right. it doesn't even necessarily have to make sense to you. There have been times where I'm like, I know, I know it makes no sense, but <laughs> well, what, what, really what makes no sense when you think about it is being more concerned about what people think than what God thinks when, it, when it boils down to it. And so many times we want to make the decision that's going to be the most popular and everybody's yes. going to be excited with. But if you're making a decision based on that, you tend to, you tend to blow it more yeah. times than not. And you, if you are a believer and you're making those deliberate pivots away from what, you know, God's asking you to do, like, it doesn't feel great either. The results are usually not great. It doesn't feel great, but you're like, Oh, but everybody's happy. Right. That's that's why I I use the term. That's why I use the term, you know, and it's, it's really true in practicality is you put your head on your pillow at night and you finally slow down your brain and you begin to think about what happened that day. And you begin to think about a decision that you made. You know, do you have peace about it? Do you feel good about it? Do you think God's pleased with it? Okay, great. If you don't, if you can't sleep, if you're miserable, you know, it's going to get worse. It's not going to get better mm-hmm. until you make it right. So make it right the next day, the best way you can. Yes. I love that. Coach, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us and share your wisdom. And everyone can get, make the call wherever books are. And that's yes. out. It came out a couple of weeks ago. I'll um, say one thing about that too. Yes, absolutely. If you if you 
if you know, if anybody out there knows anyone who loves football, but they're not sure if they love Jesus, get them the book. Amen. Yes. Get them the book. It's such an easy way in. Football is the best. And throw some. Well, some people like, like how, how do how do I minister to somebody? How do I talk to them about Jesus? Give them the book. If they love yeah. football, give them the book. I love that. Thank you so much. Okay. Have a good day. All right. That's it for this week. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Crappy Christian Podcast. And hey, by the way, if you super loved it, can you go leave a five-star review wherever you're listening? That'd be awesome. All right. See you next week.